Okay, so today I'm going to be recording an audio version of an article I wrote called Interview Tips for Patrol Officers. Uh, it's available on the blog in written form, uh, and let's get into the audio version. My writing focuses on interviewing in the controlled setting of an interview room, but many of the inside techniques can be used outside on the streets too. Before anything else, make sure you and your scene are safe first. After safety and any emergencies have been addressed, you can think about improving your on-scene suspect interviews. Here are some things you can do right now to get the most out of questioning a suspect. Build rapport, let them lie, slow down, get rid of negative questions. When you hear the question mark, stop and keep your questions as simple as possible. We'll look at each of these techniques in turn below, but first here are some disclaimers. As in all things related to police work, think safety first. Set your car right, handcuff the people that need handcuffing, get medical for anybody that needs it. Every scene is different, but I would be remiss in writing about interviewing suspects on scene without making it clear that safety comes first. Next, if you're a patrol officer, you should not be doing custodial interviews of suspects in any case that requires an immediate notification to a detective unit, unless the detective gives you the go-ahead. Homicide, child abuse, robbery, and aggravated assault detectives will probably not thank you for your efforts, especially if the suspect invokes Miranda rights on scene. However, patrol officers have a unique opportunity to interview suspects before they are in custody. Taking an initial statement from a suspect with good interview technique can reveal an amazing amount of information. Let's look at an example. You get dispatched to a disturbance at a home. Once you arrive, the mother of a young child tells you that the child is outcried to her uncle touching her. It's not clear when it happened or how bad it is. The uncle is on scene in a different room. Are you going to put the uncle under arrest right away? Probably not. This is a scenario where you'll probably want to ask the uncle some basic questions. Why is your niece saying you touched her? Is there a reason why your niece would lie? I could easily see responding officers not knowing what to do with the uncle and just letting him wander about in the background. Why not get an initial statement? One last disclaimer. Obviously, if they are under arrest and you're going to question them about the crime they are under arrest for, you must read them the Miranda warning. So, with all the disclaimers out of the way, let's get to the techniques. Build rapport. I don't think I ever did this as a patrol officer. Looking back on it now, I think I missed a lot of opportunities to gather good information. It is common to see your role on scene as adversarial to the suspect. They've been accused of a crime, you're there to keep the peace and make arrests. What if you took a moment to let them see you as a fair and reasonable person that cared about their side of the story? Most patrol investigations, particularly arrests, start with a power imbalance. You have come on the scene with your shiny badge, ordered people around, and put the main aggressor in handcuffs. This is good for safety, but it isn't good for having people divulge secrets. If you interview this suspect while maintaining the imbalance, they will feel bullied. When people feel bullied, they don't offer up secrets. So, after it's all safe and arrests have been made, try moving the suspect to the side and saying something like, I hate that the situation is start like this. I have some basic protocols I have to follow. If I don't process the scene like this, my boss has asked questions. It's nothing personal. Are you hurt at all? Suspect shakes his head no. My name's officer. I want to make sure that I get this call right. Right now I've heard her side of the story, but I want to hear yours. I promise that I'll hear what you have to say and report it the right way. How are you feeling about this situation? Okay, the gruffer of y'all may be wondering if I'd become a crisis counselor instead of a cop. Fair enough. I might have asked the same thing 10 years ago. To see the difference, let's look at how these situations usually go. Officer, you're under arrest. You understand? Sit down. Cross your ankles. Look away from me. To the dispatcher, Baker 123, 30 MS to my location. Suspect, 
You're arresting me? What about her? She hit me too. Officer. Right. That's why she's bleeding from the face. I said sit down. All right. Here's your Miranda warning. You want to say something about this? Which of these two approaches is likely to encourage the suspect to talk? Obviously the first one. Furthermore, which one of these approaches is likely to have the suspect feeling like they were treated fairly even if the outcome is them going to jail? Obviously, again, the first one. Some officers make the mistake of letting their feelings get involved in the arrest. They start high on the stress charts, ordering people around, and then fail to regulate back to normal once the scene is under control. Remember, if the suspect hit his wife, it isn't personal. If the suspect raped his daughter, it isn't personal. If the suspect did literally anything at all, it isn't personal. If it is personal for some reason, you need to have somebody else investigating. Don't make it personal. By building rapport, you increase your chances of getting a good statement. Take a minute or two to do that. Let them lie. Cops hate being lied to. We put our shiny badges on and we expect people to tell us the truth. In fact, when people start lying to us, we cut them off right away. When we cut them off, we are letting them know we see their lies and we see through them. The problem is twofold. On the one hand, if they are lying, once they have told their lie all the way, it is harder to say you misunderstood them. And on the other hand, sometimes what sounds like a lie is the truth and we don't know it yet. Whether it's in the interview room or out on the streets, consider not only letting the suspect lie to you, but also letting them embellish the lie with all the details they want to add. Let's say you're on the scene of a car wreck. There's a beat-up-looking, disheveled man standing in the median. He's covered in shrapnel from the wreck. Everybody on scene points him out as the driver of the at-fault car. When you talk to him, though, through his slurred speech, he tells you how he is walking home from his house to the fast food restaurant, saw the wreck, and stopped to help. It is obvious he is lying, but you'll do yourself a favor by letting him tell his lie all the way. Did you tell anybody you were going to the restaurant? What were you going to order? Where's your wallet? Where's your house? Why did you take this path? Now the suspect has told you their elaborate story. They built a house of cards. It will be easy to dismantle this story, and the suspect will likely be all out of fight to lie more when it's time for the DWI investigation. What do I mean when I say sometimes what sounds like a lie is the truth and we don't know it yet? I mean that cops have a tendency to form an opinion about what happened and then look for ways to prove that opinion. I've had a number of cases go the suspect's way after I heard their side of the story. For example, I worked a case where one female suspect had been credibly accused of beating her girlfriend's child. When the suspect came in for an interview, she told me a completely different side of the story. Even though I suspected it was a lie at first, I heard her out. I asked for details. I looked through the messages she had. Ultimately, by listening to her story... I found out that the victim's mother was actually the one that beat the child, and she had tried to frame my suspect. If I'd shut her, quote-unquote, lies down, I never would have gotten to the truth. In other words, allowing a suspect to lie may be just what you need to test your hypothesis as to what happened. A section of the, uh, the article that I wrote had to do with slowing down, and in it I, uh, I talk about the Prince Andrew interview uh, and the videos there in the article. Uh, but for this audio version, uh, I think it doesn't translate as well. So I want to talk about a different um, uh, example, but slowing down is really important. So I want to kind of talk to you guys about it. So when I talk about slowing down, there is a uh, misconception uh, among police officers and the public in general that if you ask questions really quickly, that you can trip people up and you can make people admit to things um, that they wouldn't otherwise uh, say. Um, but a lot of times it's more our own impatience that's coming across. 
And what really happens is that if you ask questions more slowly, it actually increases anxiety on a deceptive suspect because they are having to um, see and assess, like, does this person believe what I'm saying? Um, and asking questions quickly is, is it makes it so that we don't get to see all the other things that come along uh, with the response, nonverbal behavior and things like that. Um, so let me uh, play an example uh, for y'all that is uh, a good example. This is from a uh, murder investigation. Uh, it involved a sleepover with a bunch of kids. One of the kids snuck out, murdered his family, came back in. So I'm going to um, play, try to get this audio captured on here to give you an example of this really rapid-fire police questioning that doesn't serve. You guys spent the entire evening together yesterday? Yes, you were actually leaving the house all last night? Um, just walk around the neighborhood. Okay. How far do you live from where he lives? Um, uh, half a mile. Half a mile? Did you guys go over there? No. Did he? Yes. What time did he go over there? Um, like 12.30. Last night? Yes. What did he go home for? Um, truthfully, we were going to just take his car out. I'm sorry, what was his name? Nick Brennan. Just take his car out for a little drive. Okay. Did you guys do that? No. Okay, this style of questioning is terrible. Um, there is no reason to ask questions this quickly. If he's lying, by asking another question quickly, you're relieving him of that anxiety because he's already thinking through the next thing. An example that I'll play for a lot of people that come by my offices uh, is an interview that I had with a, uh, uh, a juvenile suspect who'd been accused of uh, rubbing the vagina of a little girl. And uh, when I asked him, I said, you know, is there any reason why she would have seen your bare penis? He goes, no. And I sat there. I waited. I didn't say anything. And he rubs his nose. He shifts his hair. He moves his posture. And then he continues on, all of which would have been obscured uh, if I had asked another question quickly, which most people would have done. So it's really important that we let them answer in the full way, and it takes people a little while to get through their answer. There's two other really important reasons uh, to ask your questions slowly, and then we'll move on. One uh, is follow-up. So there were actually some uh, interesting responses from that clip that I was playing with the detective and in interviewing the juvenile um, that would have deserved follow-up. Uh, there was one point where the kid said something to the effect of, well, truthfully, we were just driving around. Uh, truthfully is often a convincer, um, and I really wonder, you know, if maybe there's something more to that statement. I'm not saying he's lying necessarily, but anytime we hear something like that, um, if we're going really quick and we're just dropping our questions one after another, we're going to miss the opportunities to follow up on little signs that the person may be being deceptive. So we're going to miss those opportunities. Um, so if we're going really fast, we're not only overloading the suspect's ability to answer the questions, uh, but we're also overloading our own abilities uh, to observe and take in what they're saying and then follow up appropriately. So you wanna ask your questions more slowly. Um, final point on this is that um, when we ask uh, questions, um, if they don't respond right away, we need to remain silent. This is what's called a voice vacuum. Um, so if you said, for example, is there any reason why a, you would have been captured on video doing this thing? If they don't say anything, you don't say anything. 
at all. It may take, usually it's gonna resolve itself within you know, five, 10 seconds. Um, you might have to wait around for about a minute, but they heard your question. Do not ask another question quickly until, do, don't, don't say anything else until they've responded. Um, so all of these have to do with asking our questions uh, more slowly, which is a big thing for, for being out there on patrol. If you can slow it down, just realize that the benefits to going fast um, are minimal and the benefits to going slow are enormous. So if possible, with safety and everything in mind, if we can go slow and ask our questions slowly, that's the way we're going to get much more information. And after all, getting more information is the point. Next, get rid of negative questions. Negative questions are those that are phrased in a way that makes it easy for the interviewee to say no. For example, you don't have any weed in the car, do you? You don't have anything to say, do you? You don't know how Kimmy's leg got broken, do you? Obviously, these are easy questions to say no to by virtue of how they are phrased. In general, you should remove negative questions from day-to-day -day use. In the above examples, you could more profitably ask, Is there any weed in the car? What should I know about this situation? And why is Kimmy's leg broken? The only time negative questions are useful is when you want no for an answer. I've seen a lot of cops keep non-report collisions as non-reports by asking, You don't need EMS, do you? If you've had a long conversation with a complainant and you're looking for a way to wrap it up, you might ask, you don't have any more questions, do you? Remember, only use negative questions when you want no for an answer. Otherwise, forget them. When you hear the question mark, stop. One of the worst ways to ask a question is by tagging them. A tagged question means that you ask one question, and before waiting to hear an answer, ask another question, or also uh, added another statement after it. Here's an example from an interview with Barry Weiss uh, that she did on her Honestly podcast. Why is all of this happening? Meaning, the spike in, right, if you look at the statistics from Philly, where I think in 2021 there were, I think, 559 homicides, up from a previous record high from 1990 where there were 500. It's New York, it's Los Angeles, it's San Francisco. We could go through the statistics, I'll bear this out. Why is this violence on the rise and what does COVID have to do with it? Very wise from the Aftermath Part 1, Kids in Schools. As you can see, she asks a question, says a lot of stuff, and then asks two more questions, all before waiting for her interviewee to respond. I admire Barry a lot, but I think anyone could see how this style of questioning would be bad with a deceptive subject. She has three distinct questions, which gives the interviewee a chance to respond to any or all of them. If we redid this question from a cop's perspective, it might look like this. Why is your wife bleeding from her face? I mean, there's lots of reasons for people to bleed from the face. I've seen just about all of them. It's not necessarily bad, but it is a thing that needs to be explained. What happened to her face? Did you see who did it? That last question uh, should go like this. Why is your wife bleeding from the face? What happened to her face? Did you see who did it? Obviously, this is a better way of asking questions. It holds the interviewee to account. When you hear the question mark, stop. Keep your questions as simple as possible. The average rate of speech for most Americans is around 125 words per minute. This means that when we listen, we ask our brains to receive words at an extremely slow pace compared with its capabilities. It might seem logical to slow down our thinking when we listen so as to coincide with the 125 word per minute speech rate, but slowing down thought processes seems to be a very difficult thing to do. When we listen, therefore, we continue thinking at high speed while the spoken words arrive at low speed. 
In the act of listening, the differential between thinking and speaking rates means that our brain works with hundreds of words in addition to those that we hear, assembling thoughts other than those spoken to us. To phrase it another way, we can listen and still have some spare time for thinking. Harvard Business Review, Listening to People. Basically, that's Harvard types telling you that people think much faster than they speak. This means that the longer you spend asking the question, the more time the interviewee has to think about their answer. Stop crafting complex questions. Ask the question as simply as possible and keep the part that identifies the real content of the question as close to the end as possible. A bad example. When you hit your wife, did you do it with an open hand or a closed fist or something else? This is bad because the suspect knows that you plan to ask several seconds before you get to the question mark. As you work your way to the end of the question, a deceptive suspect has a lot of time to think about how to lie. Better example, how did you hit your wife? In this example, the question mark hits at the exact moment the suspect understands the question. There's no time for a deceptive suspect to think up a lie. Bad example, is there any cocaine in the car, including in the glove box, your pockets, or anywhere else? Better example, is there any cocaine in the car? Keep your questions as simple as possible. Conclusion. These techniques are not difficult, but they will take practice to implement consistently. Listen for examples of people tagging questions on the news, on podcasts, or in your personal life. If you tag a question, note it and do better next time. If you hear a negative question, ask yourself how much better it would have been if it had been asked differently. Slow down. You got this.